you're looking in your Bible, you probably won't see the word menorah unless you're reading out of some sort of Hebrew translation or kind of a cross translation where it shows a little bit of Hebrew and um, English or whatever. But what you'll probably find is the word lampstand. Like if you go to Exodus 25, it talks about the lampstand. And you'll find the word lampstand. The word lampstand in Hebrew is menorah. It means a light bearer. It means a vessel of light. It means, um, it comes from the word menorah, which means a beam, like a beam of light. And so, um, so you probably won't find that. You'll probably find lampstand. Again, I encourage you to go back and listen last week um, because we talked all about the significance of, uh, of the menorah as it being in relating to light, how Jesus was the light of the world. He came into the darkness. He brought us out of darkness and all that kind of stuff. Today I wanted to look at a little bit of the kind of the, um, the, the physical features of this thing, or at least dive into a little bit of it. If you notice, the lampstand has a center shaft or a center, a center stem, a center shaft, and then it has three uh, branches on either side, and it makes seven lamps total. Now, if you look at it and you think about that, okay, there's a center staff or a center uh, piece, and then there's these branches that go off to the side. If you thought about it long enough, you'd probably see that this really, uh, one of the things it points to is our relationship with Jesus Christ. When you look at the menorah, and we're going to look at it in more in depth, but you can see that it points to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is the center, or as he put it in, in uh, John fifteen five, he is the vine. And over in Matthew and several other places, uh, he talks about how we are the branches. That's exactly what this is. He is the vine or the center, and we are the branches. And so you can see this is all about, one of the things it's all about is our relationship with him. Last week, I told you that the holy place was all about communion with God. I don't know that the, the Jewish people or the priests and the people performing all the duties and all that stuff, I don't know that they got that, but we can look and we can look at the different pieces, three vessels that were in it, the menorah, the table of showbread, uh, the altar of incense or golden altar, and we can see that this points to communion with God. Think about the table of showbread, this table over there that had 12 loaves of bread on it and had a little bit of, um, of liquid that they would drink. And it's basically it is where we get, I mean, you have to trace it all the way back, how it all works, but it's basically where we get our communion from. You know, what do we call it? We call it communion, taking the bread, taking the, taking the wine or the juice, depending on which way you ride, you know what I mean? Um, but it stems all the way back from that. The golden altar or the altar of incense, they would have uh, incense burning up and the aromas going up into the, into the holy, uh, holy place all the time. It represents prayer and intercession. And so you can see that the holy place was all about communion with God. And then when you look at the menorah, which was one of the other three vessels that were found in that little area, the menorah also is a symbol of God's desire for fellowship with us and our need to be connected to him. Now you say that, our need to be connected with him, and um, depending upon who you are, where you're at with the Lord, you may not see that as a valuable thing. If you don't know the Lord, if you've never understood his great love and received it and had him transform your life, get saved, however you want to call it, um, then certainly you have not uh, valued being close to him. 
I would say even believers who have, have made that profession of faith, even among the saints, even among the church, there are those who really don't value or see the need to be closely connected to the Lord. Now, I'll say this, and this is going to sound like a very dogmatic statement, and that's because it is <laughs> very dogmatic. If we are not connected to Jesus, we do not have life. Now, some of you like uh, doctrine and theology, and, and I do too. I love that kind of stuff. If you want a solid gold nugget of theology to take home and then begin walking out, otherwise, what is the point of theology and doctrine, right? It's for the purpose of walking out righteousness and walking out towards holiness with God. That's what it's there for. That's why it tells us to watch our doctrine and, and stuff closely, uh, to study and show ourselves approved, those kinds of things. If you want something to take home, take that home. If you are not connected to Jesus, certainly as an unbeliever, but even as a believer that's not connecting yourself continually with the Lord, there's a level of life that you're missing out on. Now, last week, um, I read the verse in John chapter 8, verse 12, where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of of life, and I've said before, I'm really becoming um, um, closely connected with this term "light of life." I love it. It's one of the best descriptions of our Savior. He is the light of life, the light of life. And last week we talked quite a bit about Jesus as the light. And again, I, t- I encourage you to go and look at that. This week I want to talk about how in Jesus and through Jesus we have. Life. In Jesus and through Him, we have life. We have life everlasting. Why? Because we have, we, have, uh, we have confessed Him as Lord. We have believed upon Him to be the Savior. John 3, 16. God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. Whoever would believe in Him would have everlasting life, would be saved. We are, because we've believed in His name, we've believed that He's the Son of God, that he was born of a virgin, that he was divinely sent, yet took on real human flesh and accomplished a great heavenly spiritual thing. He brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We have been saved. If you look down further at verse 36 of John chapter 3, it says, this is um, Jesus talking, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but rather the wrath of God abides on him. I want to stop real quick before we go any further and just point out that it says, he who believes in the Son will have everlasting life. Then it says, he who does not obey the Son will not have life. I don't know if you noticed, but believe and obey are synonymous right here. Believe and obey are together. They They are one. In other words, you can't believe in God the way the Scripture would um, encourage us and challenge us to believe in, in God or in Christ Jesus as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. You can't believe in Him and at some point begin walking in more and more and more obedience. It's just not possible. Believing in Him will ultimately uh, lead to obeying Him. And so you see a lot of people, I believe in God, I believe in God, but you don't see much 
humility in their life. You don't see much uh, obedience. You don't see much acknowledgement of his word and certainly not any um, walking out of his word. You guys kind of know what I'm talking about. And we all, we all kind of reflect that at some point. We all kind of fall short and act goofy and want to be selfish and all that kind of stuff. But the idea is that if we believe in him, eventually we are going to begin obeying him. Isn't that true? It's very true. And so, um, so in Jesus and through him, we have life everlasting. We have eternal life. But also upon this earth, while I am in Jesus and Jesus through me, I am able to live life abundant. I'm able to have a life that is just a little bit different from everybody else on the earth that doesn't know Christ. We as believers have the privilege of having life abundant because we have communication with him. We are in communion with him. We have fellowship with, with him through, uh, through worship and through prayer and through Bible study. Most of us love the whole worship thing. We love to come in here. We love the music. We like to raise our hands. We like to twirl. We like to do backflips. Whatever it is that we like to do in the presence of the Lord. I would say fewer people really enjoy and understand the benefits of engaging in prayer. Wouldn't you guys agree with that? Prayer is a tough one. It's a tough one because it's very, 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 very selfless. But I would say even more, just kind of a side note here, even more find it not fun, difficult, maybe not even a benefit of studying his word. But it takes all three to really walk in a, in a balanced relationship with him because he can speak to us through all those things in worship, in prayer, through his word, his written word, his spoken word, his inspired uh, revelationary word, however you want to say that. So it takes all those things. We can't, we can't lean, well, I'm a worshiping kind of a guy. I'm not a really a studying kind of a guy. Well, then you're like, you know, kind of imbalanced because it takes all of those things. It says it in here. It's all of these things, all of the above, right? And so life everlasting, life while on this earth, abundant. Now I say this scripture all the time, John 10, 10. The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. The reality for us as saints is that there is uh, an ever-present pushing against us. I don't know if one of the verses or one of the lyrics of the song talks about that, um, uh, the world pushing us around. You guys remember that? The world pushes us around, and it does. And and we know that the, the king of this world is the enemy, the enemy of God, Satan. And he is constantly, he hates God, he hates the saints, so he's always coming against always coming against, and he can really wreak havoc on our life. And if we're not close to the Lord, then he may accomplish more in our lives than if we were connected strongly to the Lord. Would you guys all agree with that? But the beauty of it is is the promise that Jesus gave right after he spoke the truth about the enemy coming against us, trying to steal from us, kill from us, and destroy us if he can. He said, but I have come that they may have life. They being those who have believed and are obeying in him life and he says not just life really but life some of your versions say to the full some of your versions of bible say more abundantly some of yours may something about life that is content some of your versions may say something about life that is completely satisfying believe it or not it is possible for everyone in this room no matter where we work, where we go to school, how goofy our family is, how much seems to be coming against us, whatever, it is possible that in the midst of it we are still satisfied. That is bottom line truth, you guys. 
That is one of the things. He didn't just call, come to, to take us to heaven. He came to say, hey, I want to do something in you and through you while you're upon this earth. And somehow, even though the world, the lyric said, is coming against us, we're able to find joy. We're able to push through and persevere because there's a different power flowing in us than the power that is flowing in the people of this world. We've been sanctified, set apart from that. No, we're, we have made a better choice. And instead of hogging in that and say, well, I ain't going to give you none of that. No, we step out in faith, believing that they can make the same choice and find that satisfied life. We don't hog it. We give it away. We share it. We don't do that, but that's what we're supposed to do. Amen? Life everlasting, life abundant. And I guess the bottom line is what John said in 1 John 5, verse 12. He said, he who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son or he who does not have the Son does not have life. He got it on a bottom line level. He didn't say, well, you know, kind of like you probably have him if you've done this. Like bottom line, if you have the Son, if you're closely connected with him, life abundant is flowing through you. If you don't, it's probably just kind of life. And life without Jesus kind of stinks, right? We've all experienced that. But life with him, it still kind of stinks, but somehow we're walking through it not being stinky. You know what I mean? I don't know how else to say that. So anyway, he who has a son has life. He who does not have a son does not have life. Without the son, my life, even though it might be uh, um, a life of fulfillment, excitement, fun, success, everything that our culture would call living, it might be uh, really lacking. I may be producing f- uh, uh, fruit. I may be producing something. But what is the fruit that I'm producing? Does it look anything like Galatians 5.22 where we find the fruits of the Spirit? But the fruit of the Spirit is, is love and joy. Are those things flowing in me? Are they growing? Are they abundantly abounding? Um, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Are those things changing in me? Can someone verify that I'm, I'm changing here? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Ooh, that's a big one. That's why they say the best for the last, you know? Galatians 5.22 kind of fruit. And if I'm not connected to Jesus, chances are I am not growing in those areas. In fact, I might even be uh, shrinking. It talks about shrinking back in the Word. Not, not Do everything you can not to shrink back. But if we're not connected to the Lord, I'm not growing, abounding in those things. I'm actually probably shrinking. My fruit is, is doing this and kind of getting wilty and shriveling up. Life without the Lord leaves a lot of room for loose living. Life without the Lord leaves a lot of room for loose living. When we are not connected to the Lord, it seems that our desire to walk out His Word righteously, our ability to do it wanes, it shrinks, it decreases. When we're not connecting with the Lord, sin always gets the upper hand. As believers, we've got to be aware of that. Okay, okay, okay. Life without the Lord leaves a lot of room for loose living. Life, And then we get into His Word. We pray. We worship. We do those things that His Word says clearly are beneficial to us. And we connect with Him. Why? Because there is abundant life 
in that. Are we all together on the same page this morning with this? It's a great reminder for us because we go through this world satisfied with not only life, but we even get satisfied with loose living. It's like, wow. I remember I said I would never be a part of that or do that. I kind of, at one time, I upheld a different standard. What happened? Well, maybe somewhere down the road, just that connection with the Lord wasn't quite as tight. There's a few times where, uh, like in Ephesians 5, Romans, where Paul is writing some of these churches, and he's kind of warning them against the very things I'm talking about this morning. One time he writes to the Ephesian church in chapter 5, he says, Do not participate in, in what he calls unfruitful deeds of darkness. I think that's an appropriate verse for this morning where we're talking about uh, the menorah, the light of life. Do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness. He says, if anything, of, uh, if anything, bring them into the light. If anything, expose those things. Don't participate in those things. If anything, he says, uh, instead, even expose those things. He writes to the Romans and he says, kind of the same kind of a thought. Let us lay aside the deeds of darkness. He calls them deeds of darkness. Talking about sin, talking about things that are unrighteous and unholy in our life. Let us lay aside those things. Then he says, let us put on, cool that he says this, let us put on the armor of light. Essentially he's saying, let's put on Jesus Christ. He will, he will help us against the deeds of darkness. Let's put on the, the armor of light. And you guys, this isn't even possible unless we're plugged in to the true source of light and life. Amen? It's not even possible. You can spin your wheels all day long. It's not even possible. Apart from Jesus, I am a man or a woman incomplete. I am like the the song we sang this morning. I am half a man. I'm half a woman. Without the Lord, I'm incomplete. Half a man. But in Jesus, I am completely complete. I am totally complete. I'm a man who has been made whole. In fact, I, I mentioned this, this last year, if you'd like to write things down, something else. A man that is whole, or a woman, is a man alive. A man or woman that is whole in the Lord. doesn't mean you're perfect, because we're, we're working on that one. But I'm so connected with Jesus, I, I'm just, I'm whole. Not only am I closely connected with the Lord, but I'm closely connected with the body of Christ, a, a, a church, a, a fellowship of believers. It talks about that confessing your sins and the things that you're struggling with and, uh, and be made whole or be healed. There's something about walking in, in um, community and fellowship with the Lord and with the saints that helps bring that wholeness. If you look at Exodus 25, turn there real quick. Exodus 25, I wanted to show you something. This is where it describes the lampstand. And um, I'm going to read uh, 31 and 33. Exodus 25, 31 through 33. It just gives a little bit of a description, which, which kind of begs the point here. Exodus 25, starting in verse 31, it says, Then you shall make a lampstand. What's the Hebrew word for that? Menorah. Then you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand and its base and its shafts are to be made of hammered work. We talked about that last week. Its cups and bulbs and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. Six branches shall go out from its sides. Three branches of the lampstand from one side, three branches 
of the lampstand from its other size. Three cups shall be shaped like almond blossoms, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, it goes on down to say, so for six branches going out from the lampstand. Now, I don't know if you guys are, uh, are familiar with what's called Bible numerology. Basically, what that is is that there are, um, throughout the Word, uh, numbers seem to have a very consistent symbolic meaning. For example, six seems to represent man. It seems to be a number or a symbol of man. Okay, so, so think about this real quick. And, of course, we know um, seven. Most of us know what seven represents or is symbolic of, right? What is it? It's a perfect number or completion. Okay, so look at it this way. You know, when man, six, is connected with numero uno, God, what does that equal? Six without the other one is just six. It's just man. But when six connects with number one, God, it makes seven. It's basic math. I am whole. I am complete. When I am attached to that center shaft, without that center shaft, without Jesus as the vine, I am just a branch. In fact, it says in Scripture that a branch broken off basically is uh, unfruitful. It's dead. But he says a branch that is connected is alive and is very fruitful. It bears fruit. And I want to show you a couple other things uh, as we take a closer look at the menorah. Um, if, you kept, if you read some of there, you, you see that it says that the menorah was shaped like almond blossoms. Each branch of the menorah, it's kind of hard to tell from this one, um, but Scripture says that each branch of the menorah looked like that of an almond tree. This is really significant in several different ways. For one, almond trees apparently originated kind of in the Middle East, over there where Israel is and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it would have been well known to the Hebrews. The Jews, the ancient Jews would have, would have been speaking God's language. Oh yeah, we know what an almond is. We know what an almond branch is. We know what it looks like. In fact, the almonds are closely related to the, to the uh, peach tree. I don't know if you guys have ever seen like the buds or the blooms of a peach tree. They're very, very pretty. You guys know what I'm talking about? They're very, very, very pretty. And I was, I was thinking about that. And one of the things I thought about is the scripture where it says, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of of his holiness. Last week we talked about how this menorah really speaks of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And in that, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, we can see the beauty of his holiness. Oh, worship him in the beauty of his holiness. You guys see that? One of the other things uh, about the almond is uh, really, and if you're writing things down, you can write this down. Uh, ultimately, and it's kind of what I want to focus on, this is what we're talking about. The almond is very, 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 very symbolic of God's ability to bring life. God's ability to bring life. For example, over there in, in that area, um, the almond tree is actually like the first tree to bud. As early as January, even some even say as early as December, this tree can already be budding. It's very, very, it's like the first one to start budding. And I think about that and I think that's significant because it points again to the work of Jesus Christ. If you look where Paul was writing the Corinthians in chapter 15, verse 20, he says, but now, and listen real close, because I'm not going to have time to expound on this verse, but it really states a lot in the verse itself. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. We know that, right? That's why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, Easter. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits, everybody say first fruits. 
the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, talking about Adam because he sinned, he made some bad choices. By a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. Talking about Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, and then after that, those who are Christ's at his coming. In other words, one of these days, the Lord is going to be coming back for those who are his. And the reason we are able to rise up and go with him is because he himself rose first. If that was untrue, then what are we even doing, man? It's core to our faith, isn't it? Christ's resurrection. And so you can see that right there. And I tell you what, if you research the, the almond, if you Wikipedia it or Google it or whatever, and kind of read about the life of an almond, it's really interesting. I don't have time to go into it, but it's, it's very interesting how there's a parallel between the life of an almond and what it takes for it to produce fruit and Jesus Christ. There's hardship in there. There's suffering in there. It's very, very interesting. I encourage you to go and do that. Almonds are not self-pollinating. You guys know what that means? When something has to be pollinated... Uh, for it to for it to multiply or increase or whatever. Well, almonds are not self-pollinating. In other words, um, they need an outside source for life to begin. In fact, you know, if you went to like an almond orchard where they're trying to mass produce almonds, one of the things you'll see is beehives strategically put all over the place. Why? Well, because they're not self-pollinating. What better insect to pollinate a plant? Bees, right? So where they're trying to produce those things in mass so that we can eat them in our salads and whatever, they have beehives placed strategically around so that when it's time, those bees will be an outside source to bring life or rather to let those almonds uh, reproduce life. You guys see that? Earlier I mentioned um, John 15 verse 4. And this is basically where Jesus said, listen, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. So one of the things that the almond points to, it's it's a picture of our need for Christ. Why? Because we are not a self-pollinating people. We can't reproduce life, at least not the kind of life that he's talking about, without an outside source. Now, many of us have searched those kinds of sources, all kinds of sources, and we've come up empty at the end of our search until we found Jesus, the one that can truly bring life, because he is the light of life. We want to be self-pollinating people, We want to pollinate ourselves. We want to try to produce life in and of ourselves. But how many of you are like me and you find that it just doesn't work? At the other end of that season of effort, we're found wanting. We're not satisfied. We're not content. We are not self-pollinating people. Amen? Uh, The Bible mentions the almond and actually in kind of all over the place, several different places. But I was wanting to look at one in particular just to kind of close with this. If you look at number 16, number 16, 
Some of you may be actually familiar with this story. I don't have time to go into all of it. But just kind of give you an idea. I'm going to read. Look at number 16. I'm going to read just a few, few verses here. And there's a back, there's a back story here. And I'll, I'll read this and maybe share a little bit of it. It says, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and On, uh, On the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben. It says that they took action and they rose up before Moses. See that? They took action and rose up before Moses, together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly. It says that they are men of renown. In, in other words, they're respected. They have some sort of authority, uh, and, and there's, a, there's a reverence about who they are. They assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone far enough. For all the congregation are holy. When he says you've gone far enough, basically what happens in the, in the previous chapter is that there is a guy who, uh, who carried wood, who gathered wood on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, you don't do any kind of work. And so he got the wild hair idea to disobey and go carry some wood on the Sabbath. It was very legalistic back then. Okay? And the rules say, God told Moses that if something like that happens, you've got to stone the guy. So they just stoned a guy and killed him for gathering wood on the Sabbath. That's just the way they rolled back then. I don't know. That's just the way it was. And so these guys, you have gone too far, Moses. You have gone too far. For all of the congregation are holy, and every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? There's some neat things in here. I'll just read one more. When Moses heard this, he fell on his face. And he spoke to Korah and all the company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who he is and who is holy and will bring him near to himself, he who is holy, even the one whom he will choose. He will bring near to himself. We'll, we'll, we'll let the Lord decide what's going on here. And so look over at verse uh, chapter 17. You guys with me? Some of you may be, there's some really neat stuff even between 16 and 17. A lot of neat stuff going on. I don't have time to cover it. Uh, chapter 17. My heading says, Aaron's rod buds. What does your say? Good. I heard all, every one of you. <laughs> it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and get from them a rod for each father's household. Twelve rods. How many, 12, uh, how many tribes of Israel? Twelve rods from all of their leaders according to their father's household. You shall write each name on his ride. And write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi. And there is one rod for the head of each of their father's households. You shall then deposit them in the tent of meetings in front of the testimony where I uh, meet with you. And then look, verse 8. Now on the next day, Moses went into the tent of the testimony and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced what? Blossoms and it bore ripe almonds. God produced real, live, ripe almonds from a dead stick. You guys see that? He produced real life. It was impossible for a man to do that. 
but he brought forth almonds, real, alive, edible, I would imagine, from Aaron's dead staff. Isn't that cool? Because of what happened to Aaron's rod, what happened along the way is that almonds were seen as a symbol of divine approval. God chose his man, his sons, basically those who would be able to go in and minister uh, in the holy place and in the holy of holies. All the other tribes, Korah and those guys, they could burn offerings and they could serve the Lord by killing bulls and slaughtering this and cleaning this. But only Aaron and his sons at this time were allowed to go into the holy place and only the high priest, Aaron, for a while could go into the holy of holies. God chose his family, his man, didn't he? It's a symbol of divine approval. And the Bible says that we are now the priesthood of God. You guys hear what I'm saying? We are the priesthood of God, the believers. And Christ is our great high priest. If you're writing things down, I want you to write this down. Our acceptance of Jesus Christ has given us approval before God in Christ Jesus. Now, this is important for some of you to hear this morning because this is part of the reason there's not life abundant being generated in your life because you don't feel worthy of that. You don't feel like God approves you to do anything, much less be content in your life. You will even cause drama in your life. And the root of it is that you don't feel like God approves you. But I'm telling you this morning, if you are in Christ Jesus and you are connected with him, then you are letting the light of life produce an almond-like life in you that symbolizes God's approval. Yes, you are a dead, dried-up old staff, except that God has come down and he has made you alive. Some of you need to hear that this morning because it's time for that to shift. That life of, oh, 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 it's over if you're a believer. That's not who you are anymore. You're an almond. <laughs> That's why they call it almond joy. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was a pretty good one. I just thought of that. Can we get that on podcast? Okay. Seriously, though, you guys hear what I'm saying? And it's all because of Jesus. It's all, not anything of your own merit, your own worth, what you have done. It's be- simply because you're connected with Jesus. And he is the one that the Father ultimately approved. Remember when he got baptized, the dove came down. This is my son who I am well pleased, I approve of. And anyone that is connected to that centerpiece, that vine, is man plus one and is made whole and is completely approved. And if you're not continually worshiping and living out his word... Praying, just, you know, not that it's got to be this perfect prayer or it's got to be a certain length of time. Any connection with God, he's like, cool, man, I've been waiting on you. It will produce life. It is connecting to him. It's six plus one and you are made whole. It's, there's something complete and satisfying about your life. Some of you so desperately need to hear this. This is like, this is, this is what you need to ponder on, meditate on for the next, you know, month to let it sink so much deeper into your heart. Because you can't get out of this pattern of poo, you know? It's time. Wouldn't you guys agree? And some of you are walking in that very well, very diligently to do all these things. 
and you're doing great, and I want to encourage you to keep doing that. But those of you who feel like you are just constantly in the muck and the mire, remember that God has already extended his hand, hasn't gone away. It's never weakened to the point where it can't pull you out. You just need to grab on for dear life. Sometimes I've called Jesus uh, my lifeline. And let him yank you up out of that. No more drama. And it's not that the drama is not going to come against you or this, there's not going to be that in your life. It's just that I'm different. I'm, I'm, I'm connected to a source that makes me uh, receive all that differently. Amen? He approves of you because he approves of the person and work of Jesus. So get connected to Jesus. Put on the armor of light. Lay aside the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Walk in abundant life. If you're writing things down, we'll end with this. Abundant life comes from walking in the approval of God the Father. Let's stand.